0: Good to see the Butterfields with us as well. Arlene Maggie from Springfield, but originally from Kansas. And, uh, you know, now I feel great now that i figured out what that symbol is on my uh, Wichita State Shocker <laughs> polo. I thought it was a really ticked-off bee. But somebody told, me, somebody told me it's the Shocker, and so that makes perfect sense now. I see it. I can, I can get it. But it didn't make much sense to me. But um, I want to share with us briefly this morning uh, a message on the, the Ministry of Encouragement, because I, I just think this is so important for our day. I don't care where you live. I don't care if you live in Wichita, Omaha, uh, <laughs> Springfield, Detroit, California. Sean, what part of California are you from originally? The Bay Area. The Bay Area, you know. Doesn't that, that sound really cool to tell somebody, I'm from the Bay Area. <laughs> You know, I forgot the clicker. Yeah, thanks. You're the man, Dale. Appreciate that so much. You know, you tell people you're from Detroit originally, and they they take a step back. So (laughs) over the years, I've had to learn to say, hey, I'm from Detroit, but I'm unarmed. So (coughs) relax. We had a reputation. Every, Every Halloween came up. You know, there was Detroit, you know, for Devil's Night and everything burning down and what's going on there. I mean, it was... It was pretty crazy, but man, we need encouragement. We need our souls to be encouraged, and now that we know that we've got all these terabytes, megabytes, you know, the only one I remember is my mosquito bites, but, you know, it's still a bite. That's, that's all I got to say, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, our brains, you probably don't remember this, but our brains process 12 to 60,000 thoughts a day, 90% of them are consumed by negativity, um, and there's just like... You know, we we just so, we're so, I I just feel like for me in, in particular, so quick to forget how important encouragement is to our soul. How important is encouragement? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, there's 35, at least 35 scriptures in just the New Testament that talk about God's call for us to be encouraging or to receive encouragement, to give encouragement. And uh, it's, a, it's a phrase, it's a concept that's talked about in most of Paul's letters. Uh, and encouragement, biblically, is the act of giving someone support, confidence, and hope. And it's one of the seven gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12, which Maggie and Arlie shared with us this morning. And this is how God just works, because I just said, hey, you know, why don't you share with us a communion message that has to do with transformation? Now, it's, it's kind of 50-50 shot, you're going to go to Romans 12, because that. That's where it talks about transforming your minds, right? So, you know, but there was no, hey, I'm going to bring something out of Romans chapter 12, so maybe you guys should do that too. But that's just the Spirit of God. That's a little side message that's not part of my sermon, so bear with me. But in Romans chapter 12, it gives us the list of gifts, the spiritual gifts. And we did a spiritual gifts class here, I don't know, four or five years ago. Uh, But of the seven spiritual gifts, there are seven of them. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and mercy. And I don't know. I mean, I think there's a reason why encouraging is in the middle of those seven gifts. I don't want to, you know, God doesn't tell us. I put this one in the middle because it's, it's the anchor that holds the soul together. It's, it's what makes all the other six gifts, the three on either side, function really well. But I don't know. Maybe there is something to that. Out of the middle of all of these seven spiritual gifts, encouraging is planted right in the middle. And I just think it's, it's just, uh, for those of you who remember, if you, were, if, you, if you assessed yourself with the gift of encouragement, you know, if you wouldn't mind raising your hand, let me encourage you to raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six. Those of you who, who measured yourself, we took a test. And you, you answered some questions uh, as to what spiritual gift you may have dominant in your life. So raise your hand real confidently if you came out as encouragement. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight encouragers, eight people whose primary gift was identified as the gift of encouragement, this gift of supporting confidence and hope. Now, the thing is, as Ken talked about in his message last week, You know, we all, and we know this, intuitively, informationally, we've been trained, we've been taught, we read, we get sermons, we, you know, we do lessons, we hear, you know, all kinds of different things. And we know from reading the word of God on our own that we're called to become more and more like Jesus. Being a disciple of Christ is not a stagnant life. You know, every, every day, every week, every year, you know, we should be measuring and looking more and more into the image of Jesus and so the thing about Jesus is he embodied all seven of those spiritual gifts in a great way. He wasn't out of balance with just one and said, well, that's just not who I am. No, and Ken talked about this last week, too. It's not enough to say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's the way you are right now, but that's not ultimately the goal that we should be you know, striving for and living for in our life. And I think all of us need to embrace this idea of encouragement because I'm telling you, I just feel like... Encouragement is just so needed in our time. Everything around us is just saturated with discouragement. The bickering and the fighting in our culture and our political world. I mean, you know, I have, a, I have a, you know, this is Satan appealing to our base human nature of fear and anxiety and control. That's where we go. That's our default system as human beings when we are stepping outside of the image in which God has created us in. And so we're just saturated with all of this bickering and you know, just strong, intense negativity. I mean, do you ever feel like, I don't know, I appreciate the men and women who serve in our communities, whether you're you know, in, on the city council or the local. You know, I believe there's a lot of really good intending people in that world in the political world they desire good things and you know i've traveled the world a lot on on different reasons most of them mission trips and those kinds of things and we truly do live in a in a very blessed country we are really blessed the first time i went to china i understood why you know certain people when they land at their home base they kiss the ground i mean it's like wow i missed i missed what we have here, and uh, but we all know when we go to that voting booth and we do something as simple as voting, we're, we're we're generally picking the 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 what we've been told is is maybe the best of the worst options. You know, pick the one who might do the worst damage to you. I mean, we don't run anymore on hey, this is what I would like to do for us as a country or as a community. You know, it's like this is why you shouldn't vote for this person. <laughs> Isn't that why you should vote for me? It's why you shouldn't vote for that person. I mean, it's just sort of like, there's something wrong with that, you know? There's just something really wrong with that. But it just penetrates, I think, even our daily lives and our daily thinking. And that's why I want to talk to you briefly this morning about the ministry of encouragement. And the fact that there are so many. I've learned over the years that the more God tells us about something in his word, the bigger priority we should make that something in our life, you know? I mean, he doesn't, there's not a verse that says, you know, if I tell you, you know, whatever I tell you the most, that's what you really need to focus on. I mean, you know, this is part of God's design for us to really, and I don't know how many times I've read completely through the Bible. I'm pretty old, you know, so you don't need to know the number of times because, again, you're going to try to start figuring out exactly how old I am, and none of that really matters. (laughs) It doesn't, Uh, but... One thing, I, I mean, Ken, Lana, can you relate to this? I mean, the more we're into the Word, the more we see key themes in God's Word. And yet, by the same token, we're often, often get, you know, like in, in our culture and our time, the whole sexual identity thing is, is a big deal. Right. And as disciples, you know, well, the Christian world in particular is kind of portrayed as this out of touch, angry, we're going to string you up, you know, because you're a gay person. And look, I believe in the God-given biblical sexual ethic. I'm so grateful, as I've said before, for people like Guy Hammond in our churches who, who share with us coming from a same-sex-attracted lifestyle to say, look, this is the biblical sexual ethic, and I'm going, to, I'm going to follow. We've all got something we're battling with that we just have to say, this is, this is God's will, Okay. This is God's will, whether you're heterosexual, homosexually attracted, or you tend to be greedy, or just cranky, or just, you know, I don't know. Whatever it is that you hang out in your closet with doing, and you know you need to make some adjustments there. But there's only like eight scriptures that deal with the whole concept of homosexuality. And yet we, 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 just, we, we, we throw that way out on the top of the universe like, this is it. We look at subjects like encouragement when God tells us in over 35, in just the New Testament alone, his desire for us to be encouraged and encouraging. You know how we we kind of flip-flop things around, don't we? You know, so that's why I think this kind of conversation is is really important for us. So back in the day, it used to be pretty important when we would give people names. And uh, so just briefly, I want to mention this guy Barnabas. After I turned this on, it buzzed. It tells me I did the right thing. Thank you for encouraging me. Uh, but there's this in, in the scriptures, there's this guy, Barnabas. And his name actually changed from Joseph to Barnabas. Because Barnabas was just known early on in the disciple community that, man, this guy is very gracious. This guy is very given. He's the name that's mentioned in Acts chapter 4 about selling some land and laying it at the apostles, the money at the apostles' feet so they could start taking care care of people's needs in Jerusalem who had to hang around and learn, learn some more about the ways of God. So in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, we read the following about Barnabas. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, in verse 36, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is mentioned specifically here because we're going to start hearing about him a lot in the book of Acts going forward and his relationship with Paul and his participation in, in ministry journeys. But Barnabas' name actually means son of encouragement. So, you know, back in the day, it was common for your name to mean something really specific. You know, I just, I, you know, we have our names now. They, we just get people's names, you know, like Arlie, you know, Arlie. What, is there a specific name to the ma- name Arlie? They make it up, okay. I think Arlie means great coach. Uh, nowadays, it could mean, oh, bearded one. You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> Tony, I mean, you know, does Tony have a specific m- meaning behind that name? Do you know of a specific meaning behind Tony? Nope. And I'm just Tim, you know. I still wanted to be a Tony or a Jim when I was a kid, you know, we were kids, we all didn't l- wanted to be a different name, right? We never liked the name that we were given. Why couldn't I could be a Jim or a Tony? That just sounds so much more, mm. but Tim, you know, ah. But back in the day, a name meant something. So he was known as the son of encouragement. And what a great name. I mean, he was known as a person for his willingness to seek people out and encourage them in their struggling uh, and the circumstances that they were challenged in. In Acts chapter 14, verse 14, we know that Barnabas was also referred to as an apostle. Apostle just means one who is sent and then we have this story of Barnabas in Acts chapter 9 When he goes on a journey with Paul He and Paul are working together and in next uh, chapter 9 verse 26 through 30 When he came to Jerusalem he tried to join the apostles, the disciples there that is Paul But they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really disciple, but Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey, well, at that time he's still known as Saul, took him on his journey and he had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So this was Barnabas helping Paul get connected to the church in Jerusalem. And why wouldn't they be afraid of Saul? aka Paul, right? Because he had been participating in arresting and throwing people in prison, men and women and children. And so here was Barnabas acting out on in Paul's behalf and encouraging the church in Jerusalem to embrace him. And then we have the story in Acts chapter 15 many years later on one of their journeys where Paul and Barnabas had to separate. In Acts chapter 15 we come across the idea of there's this council in Jerusalem, the whole issue of the Gentiles coming into the church now, and they're not circumcised, and what are we going to do with that? And so they had this big meeting in Jerusalem. It was the first conference, if you will, of the disciples. Um, and they've come up with this decision that we're not going to require circumcision, but here's some things we want to encourage the churches to do. Well, in the process of that, Paul is getting ready to go back out, and Barnabas says, okay, let's take Mark with us, this, this guy named Mark. But Paul didn't want to take Mark. Because along the way, Mark had, you know, kind of, given the impression that when things got tough, he was going to get going. The other way. And so Paul, maybe Mark had some cowardice that was going on in his life, and we can read uh, down here. Oh, where is it? Sometime later in verse thirty-six. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the town. And Barnabas, verse 7, wanted to take John, also known as Mark. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left and commended the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So there's some really specific reasons why we have this unusual little side story in the book of Acts. I think Luke does an amazing job for us to grapple with the reality of our humanity. You know, everything is not blazing roses in the book of Acts. There's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of breakdowns. And even here, something that's so important as the, you know, even the breakdown of two apostles who feel called and are sent together. All right, we're going to have to separate because Barnabas really felt it was important to take John Mark, who we will later learn in the book of Colossians, I think it is, that Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. But Paul had this thing against Mark, like Mark buckles when it gets tough. And here's something else to think about. Mark, I'm, I'm convinced of the fact that the, the Mark that we read about here is also the same Mark that we have the gospel of Mark. It's the same Mark. There's no indication to say it should be another Mark. And if you recall, Mark's gospel ends with Jesus' arrest, but there being a young man nearby whose coat was grabbed, but he fled naked out of the garden rather than face the persecution that was about to unfold. So throughout his young life and his middle-aged life, Mark had a problem with, you know, running. When things got tough, Mark was going to run. But here's Barnabas stepping in and saying, no, I can see some value here in Mark, and I'm going to take him, and I'm going to to separate from you, Paul, and we'll go go a different way. Now, the great thing, we're not going to spend time on it this morning, is we know that uh, as the years pass by, Barnabas and Paul restored their relationship. Paul even greatly cries out for Mark in the letter to Timothy many years later. He says, I need Mark. I need you, Timothy, and when you come, bring my scrolls, bring my jacket, you know, but I need Mark. He's valuable to me. So, you know, they worked through it. They got it resolved, but I just want to share with us a couple of things this morning about this ministry of encouragement. The book of Hebrews, it's the one book in the New Testament. We don't really have a clue who wrote Hebrews. Well, we have some clues. Some people think it was Paul. But as early as the second century, a guy named Clement thought it was Barnabas that Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews because it's got a very Jewish orientation to it. you got to know Jewishness in order to understand the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is all about the great superiority of the covenant relationship that we have as disciples today versus the covenant relationship of the Old Testament. We have a far greater sacrifice. We have a far greater covenant. We have a far greater relationship. We are all now priests. We don't need a high priest. We don't need to make regular sacrifices to have our sins removed. And there's a lot of text within the book of Hebrews itself that say, man, encourage one another. Encourage my soul. Comes through clearly in the book of Hebrews. So I want to suggest to us that first of all, there's two things on a big picture basis. There's two things that encouragement does for us. The first one is it breaks barriers. Like we saw briefly in Acts chapter nine, Barnabas helped Paul find acceptance in the church in Jerusalem. He, you know, Paul needed an encourager to step up and say, hey, look, we can trust Paul. This is why I know we can trust Paul. You can trust Paul. The Holy Spirit is with him. This is his conversion story. Yes, he was a persecutor, but now he is a promoter. And it took an encourager to help break through that barrier. That's what encouragers do. They bring opposite sides together, and they help penetrate barriers that might otherwise exist. The newly converted Saul of Tarsus was at first denied fellowship with the church in Jerusalem. But it was Barnabas' help that helped break down those barriers. Barnabas also was important in Acts chapter 15, as they were holding that council in Jerusalem, in helping the Jewish converts accept the Gentile converts. Barnabas played a key role in breaking through that barrier of the Jewish disciples and the Gentile disciples. There were a lot of cultural, societal things that kept the Jews and the Gentiles both now believers in Jesus, both being baptized for the forgiveness of sins after repenting and making Jesus the Lord of their life, but they still had to learn how to get along. And it was Barnabas' encouragement lifestyle, his encouragement orientation that worked on bringing the sides together. You six or seven or eight that raised your hands. Our churches really need you. We need to encourage one another. It breaks down a lot of barriers. We need Barnabases in our fellowships to help people of other races, other cultures, other economic classes make it into the church. Because you know what? Sometimes we're really slow at recognizing the walls we create. We don't intend to. We just don't necessarily go after people that are kind of different than us. But it's really important. You you and I have no idea how sometimes even just one word of encouragement, one greeting can make the difference in somebody's day. And if you think this is a soft shoe, soft pedal lesson, Let me come and shake you or do something to help you realize this is not soft shoe. This is as deep as it can get. Because this is the heart of God. Encouragement is the heart of God. And Satan is waiting to just take us out with all the discouragement that surrounds us regularly. I think the second big picture thing that encouragement does for for us is it soothes wounds. You know, Barnabas... Encouraged John Mark in a way that, for him, saved him for meaningful service. If we go back to that Acts 15, Paul was essentially saying, "Look, I can't take Mark with us. He's he's a barrier. He's a hindrance to my ministry." You know how defeated Mark probably felt in that moment, finding this out. I mean, at a minute, we don't really know. The, the text doesn't give us a whole lot. So I am, you know, kind of filling in some blanks here. But what if, you know, Barnabas shows up to John Mark's house or you know the tent, wherever he spent, and he's like. Hey, what are you doing? Shouldn't you be leaving with Paul? Yeah, well, Paul and I aren't going to travel together. You're, I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to take you with me. I mean, at some point in time, that conversation had to come up or surface somehow. But, you know, here we have Barnabas believing in Mark. He still saw the good that Mark possessed, despite, you know, Mark's you know, tendency to pull away when things got tough. And I don't even begin to be able to relate to you how tough things probably were in the first century. You know, it was tough. Life was on the line, literally. Not all the time, everywhere. But there were periods where, man, Christianity could cost you your lifestyle, if not your life. Now, that's a pressure we don't face. But to some extent and let me encourage you with this, my intent is to encourage you with this, because I know for me sometimes I can read my life into the New Testament, like, man, my life doesn't. My life is so easy in comparison. But I think part of it, too, is, I think our life can be really tough. See, I think it's actually easier for us to be committed disciples, fired out about our relationship with God when the culture doesn't give us a choice to play in the middle. See, today we can pretend, we can do a lot of different things that look good, but yet we can be so, so enamored with the world and the things that are in the world that it actually becomes a little bit hard, maybe sometimes a lot harder for us to live as disciples today versus a culture where it's like, man, you're either in or you're out. There's no gray, (laughs) you know, there's no black and white, I mean, there is nothing but black and white in terms of living the life as a disciple. But anyway, so Barnabas continues this conversation with Mark and he encourages Mark. He travels with Mark. We need to be like this with each other, too, you know, where we are really just helping each other soothe wounds. You know, I appreciated Maggie sharing about, you know, healing. Uh, you know, our, uh, Maggie and Arlie both sharing about, in view of God's mercy. You know, in view of God's mercy, just wanting this desire to deal with our hurts. But we need encouragers along the way to help us with that. Encouragers can go a long way in helping, really helping to save people's souls and restoring people to meaningful service through the ministry of of encouragement. And I just want to sum up these two big 5,000 foot points with the fact that the church needs ministry of all the gifts. We need all the gifts at work. But all of us really need to embrace at some level this gift of encouragement. And you encouragers, lead the way for us in this role of encouraging. You know, it doesn't have to be galactically, globally, globulatedly. I'm running out of G words, but you know, it doesn't have to be a huge thing, it can be something small. I was encouraged this morning when Dr. Ringer was trying to get me a bottle of water. And he took me to the refrigerator. I have never seen a church refrigerator as clean as your refrigerator. It's it's amazing. I open the one we have in Omaha sometimes, and I'm like, oh, don't let anything jump out and attack me, you know? (laughs) Nobody really takes responsibility for our fridge in Omaha, but man, I would eat off that refrigerator, you know? It can be something really small. That we just, you know, when you pick up your kids this morning in Kingdom Kids, just give your kids' teacher a hug and tell them how much you appreciate their service. They're not in here with you, they're out there trying to manage kids. That's a lot of work. Feed their soul. And when your kid comes home with a little bit of homework, help your kids to do it from the class. You know, your teachers, your kids' teachers here will be really encouraged by that. Just, you know, I love the fact that we have, you know, people stepping up every day. And, you know, our worship team getting up and sacrificing their time, practicing regularly. Uh, People that serve, you know, people that usher, people that clean the building. The building is so clean. I mean, it's just, I think Jita cleans the building, you know. Emily cleans the building. Where is Emily? She's hiding. Oh, she's cleaning, so don't bother her. <laughs> yeah. we got to love your church building day coming up. I mean, there's just so many things that, you know, we just need encouragement. It, it matters. It fuels our souls to keep going when we have encouragement. And just winding down here, Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another daily, and as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What, that, what God means in this text is when we encourage one another daily, we are highly less likely to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are highly less likely to embitter, be embittered by the activities of the world around us. When we are encouraged in our soul, to stay faithful to the gospel, to stay faithful to one another, to stay faithful to God's call to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Guys, that's world-changing stuff. It's one day at a time, one interaction at a time. Parents, encourage your kids. Encourage one another. Wives, encourage your husbands. Husbands, encourage your wives. Don't downplay this. Don't, don't hold back in the world of encouragement. And don't keep score. All right, I'm up three encouragements to one, you know? Don't do that. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can change your brain. That's what Hebrews 13 tells us. Words can change your brain. And this is, I love it how science today is so now finding out. They don't acknowledge it. But God's been telling us this stuff for thousands of years, you know? These two doctors, Andrew Newberg and Mark Robert Waldman, wrote a book called Words Can Change Your Brain. They write that a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Positive words can alter the expression of genes. Strengthening areas of our frontal lobes and promoting the brain's cognitive functioning. Between Arlie and me, you guys had no clue you were going to Neurology 101 this week, <laughs> did you? The, the, the positive words, though, propel the motivational centers of the brains into action, according to the alter, uh, authors, and they build resiliency. Conversely, hostile language can disrupt specific genes that play a key part in the production of neurochemicals that protect us from stress. Humans are hardwired to worry, hence the data we reviewed two weeks ago. We're hardwired to worry because part of our primal brains act to protect us from threats to our survival. So our thoughts naturally go here first. Angry words send alarm messages through the brain, and they partially shut down the logic and reasoning centers located in the frontal lobes. That's why we all have this problem with catastrophic thinking. We hear something and, oh, no. We, you know, we take it to the end of the moon, you know? Oh, man, I've, I've spent so much of my life in the world of catastrophic thinking. It's not easy to change that, either. According to the authors, using the right words, though, can transform our reality. By holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind, they stimulate the frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of brainy, yeah. technical stuff. The bottom line is this. Positive words build up. Negative words tear down. And that's why Jesus says, oh, they go on to say here, that a positive view of oneself biases you towards seeing others and the good in others, whereas a negative attitude towards yourself will incline you towards suspicion and doubt. And over time, the structure of your thalamus will also change in response to your conscience, words, thoughts, and feelings. And we believe that the thalamic changes affect the way in which we perceive reality. In other words, as we think about ourselves as how we act towards others. And that's why Jesus told us when he was asked, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of times, even when we're projecting negativity and we're going after somebody else, It's really just an expression of how we feel about ourselves. And when that happens, we've lost our identity in Christ. We no longer have in view of God's mercy. In the right way, we may be viewing God's mercy as he's just waiting to punish me. He's just waiting to zap me. But that's not God's message to us at all. Well, in a world where challenges abound, it's easy for us to really get discouraged. The thought is always present in our minds to just give up. And where's somebody that's going to bring me a word of encouragement? Because everybody's just kind of too busy with their own stuff. But when we're in the midst of a trial and someone says, hey, don't lose hope. You can do this. I know you can do this. We can help you struggle through this. We can help. It's amazing how those words can keep us encouraged. Encouraging words can do wonders to make us work harder instead of thinking about surrender. We can never underestimate the power of positive words to change our outlook of life. So, boiling it down into more specific things, uh, here was that quote, Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can change your brain. That comes from the book, Words Can Change Your Brain. In Hebrews 3.13, God already telling us this message but I just wanted to share with you on a micro level. This is what positivity does for you and what it does forever for others as we encourage them. First, it energizes people. Words of encouragement work like energy pills, so it gives us strength and motivation that we need to overcome challenges. Encouragement gives us hope. When we're at our lowest, we tend to withdraw from other people because we fear their judgment. But if there's someone who can empower us with encouragement, that can be a game changer in somebody else's life. So encouragement with one another gives each other hope. Words of encouragement is the spark that gives us hope. Thirdly, words of encouragement help us change our perspective. When we're in the middle of trials and challenges, we get confused. Our negative thinking takes over. Catastrophic thinking takes over. And it can lead us to view things differently when we get some encouragement in our life. If we're not careful, discouragement and negativity can make our focus immediate and on the petty instead of seeing the big picture. A word of encouragement can help calm us down. You know, I remember when my son was... uh, you know, I, I think he was probably five or six at the time. I don't remember. I've told that. Maybe I've already told you this story too, but you know, just having an older brother stay at my house one night because Wendy was way at the women's thing. Uh, and my son was a great kid in many ways, but man, when we got to church, it was like a, he was, who is this kid? He was like possessed by something unholy. And I know sometimes as parents, if you've got young kids, I mean, you can feel this. Pre- My kid's got your kid doesn't have to be perfect. Your, he's, your kid is a kid; he's not going to be perfect. So take the pressure off yourself. People are fired up when parents are t- taking are responding to the kid, you know, as opposed to just letting the kid go out of cor- and control. And at some point in time, every kid is going to go out of control. Heck, m- most of us do it once in a while too, as adults. But you know, this brother Hal, he told me, look. Love how you discipline your kids. Stay on it. And just remember this about your son. I know he's rambunctious. I know he's got a lot of energy. But the wildest ponies make the best horses. And you want to know how important that was to me? He told me that 37 years ago. And I still picture him in my front yard, every 6 foot 4 inches of ball-headed Hal telling me that the youngest ponies make the the best horses, or the wildest ponies make the best horses. And do you know how many times I've shared that with other young men as dads? It was so encouraging, so encouraging. I needed that for you know a good couple of years to follow even. I mean, it didn't fix all of the rambunctiousness immediately. But encouragement helps us to change our perspective. Fourthly, encouragement helps us restore confidence. It's so important that we infuse one another with confidence. One of the things Paul was often saying is, "I am confident. I am confident about this. I am confident about my salvation in Christ. I am confident that Jesus rose from the dead. I am confident of this gospel that you believed in, that I have believed in, and that I teach and I preach everywhere." Encouragement, guys, really builds up and restores our confidence. First Thessalonians chapter 5:11, Paul tells us. God tells us through Paul, encourage one another and build each other up encourage one another and build each other up. Say that with me. Encourage one another and build each other up. And lastly, it inspires us to do the hard things and to succeed. Encouragement can be a great motivator. It makes people exert greater effort to accomplish their objectives. It helps us to make people successful. It helps to make people successful in their endeavors. You know, you got somebody encouraged. How many of you ever experienced somebody really encouraging you to get through something hard and something tough? Raise your hand if you've experienced that. Okay, most of you have. Those of you who haven't, I'm sorry. Let's let's help them out. You know, there's probably some tough things. Maybe Maybe we need to share more about some tough things that we're going through. But we need to be encouraging one another. And I'm just gonna close with this screen from Proverbs that tells us this is just a handful in the Old Testament of how important encouragement is. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. The wise in heart wise in heart, are called discerning and pleasant words promote instruction. A wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 18:21 The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of a gold of gold or an ornament of fine gold, a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Is a wise man's rebuke even rebukes can be encouraging if they're done with the spirit of grace, seasoned with salt and overflowing with love. Right. It's how Dan, or, or, uh, uh, Nathan dealt with David, you know? Let's be encouraging. Let's commit to being encouraging people. Let's encourage one another's soul. Find somebody today, somebody. I don't care if, it's, if it has to start with, boy, I really like your shoes, those are so nice. But look for even deeper ways. I really love how you interact with your wife. I see you in the fellowship. Sister, I really love how you encourage your husband. I really love how you're attentive to people. I see you go and talk to somebody who may not be engaged in conversation. There's so many things that we can find to love on one another about. Right. We just need to talk about this more often right. with each other because we're up against it, guys. When we come here, we're like a piece of Swiss cheese. By the time we go from Thursday to Saturday, we look like a piece of Swiss cheese where the world has kind of grabbed little chunks of us. Well, we've got to fill those holes in. And the way we do that is by encouraging one another's soul. Let's be people of encouragement. And let's thank God for encouraging us to encourage. Lapita, did you have something? Amen. Amen. And that was not planned. (laughs) But with that, we will end. At this time we will pass the baskets for contribution and donations to benevolence. You can also give online or there is a collection box right outside in the hallway in the foyer. I wanna thank Tim for giving such an encouraging message about encouragement.